Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, we're heading to the cuddle zone. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Seth Nelson, and I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright, as always. Our guest today is Rachel J, connection coach, and she's here to talk to us about what it means to connect and reconnect after the trauma of divorce. Rachel, welcome to the toaster. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on with you guys. Oh, I'm very excited to have you talk to us today. Uh, it's you you exist your work exists in such a unique space uh that i feel like is really important and we talk about the cold hard law so much on this show and we check so many jurisdictions don't go and... bashing my jurisdictions in the cold <laughs> hard law he's just slipping it right on in there that <laughs> he's just, that's what we're doing you know it's gone you remember i'm just a bill like it went up to capitol hill it was so cute and that's the cold hard law you're referring to, my friend Pete? I'll, I'll allow it. You're right. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to hear what it is that you do. Where? Tell us a little bit about where you exist in helping, helping folks uh, uh, connect. What does that mean? So currently what I'm doing is um, I am working one-on-one virtually with primarily men um, and even more primarily men who are married and have children and are experiencing profound loneliness in their relationships. And um, it's a population that we don't often think about as being lonely because we think, oh, they're married, they have kids, you know, they have a family. So um, why would these men be lonelier than say single men, right? But of people who report feelings of loneliness, that's actually the largest population is married men with kids. So that is where I really sort of dial in and want to support that demographic so that they can start to a feel less lonely in a way that is safe and healthy and not, you know, potentially dangerous for the impact of the family, but also provide tools so that they can, if they want to and feel like there's still a possibility in their relationship, learn and practice tools to be able to, you know, reignite that intimacy if if it's still there to be re- reignited. That surprises me, Seth. Does that surprise you? It should probably shouldn't. It doesn't because everyone, as we've talked about, people think about divorce for years before they do it. Yeah. And yeah. it might be finances. It might be like we're not connected anymore. We Our lives took different directions. But those are all, I think, catchphrases where it's very difficult for a guy to simply say, I'm lonely. I, I think that would be hard for someone to say. They might not even identify it as loneliness. Instead, they're going to say all of these other things that is wrong in their life. I'm too busy at work. I don't have time for this. We don't have date night anymore. Whatever the case may be. And Rachel, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. No, you're right on the money. And and all that translates to I'm lonely. And then relationship doesn't last. They get a divorce. They're on the dating apps. And then hey, they go out on a date and they're having a good time. Someone's interested in them and how their day was, right? And now they're not lonely. 
You know, it's interesting. One of our top downloaded episodes was back in season one, and the title is just, And Now You're Alone. And I feel like I suddenly get why that title is provocative and why it gets clicks on, because this that encapsulates a feeling that you may be living and have been living for quite some time. Well, and there's a difference between alone and being lonely too, right? Yeah. So someone can be lonely in their relationship for a really long time. And as Seth said, use all these other sorts of, you know, masks as to why the relationship isn't working out. And part of that, a large part of that is because of, you know, gender role conditioning, which is something I talk about a lot that men don't feel encouraged or safe to say, I'm lonely, I'm depressed, I need support, I need a hug. And so we mask it with these other symptoms of something that's wrong. So someone can be lonely in their relationship. um, But then that translates differently once they're out of the relationship and actually alone. And someone might actually feel less lonely being alone, if that makes sense. Part of that also might be an expectation. Mm -hmm. If you are living alone, you're not expecting to have clever conversation over dinner with your spouse that night. So because you're not expecting it, you don't miss it. You don't miss it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And yet we can, we can, we can, I don't know, maybe, do you remember that feeling, Seth? Like, but in your marriage, like that feeling of like, everybody goes through ups and downs of just feeling like I'm all alone in this, whatever it is that I'm doing right now, I don't feel like I have a partner, even if I do. I think that is a common feeling, not just to feel alone, but I think the other way to say it is not connected. I'm not Mm -hmm. as connected to who I was with who I'm with. Okay. And I hear a lot of people talk about that. Um, or, you know, some, we have our ups and our downs, all relationships go through them, right? These are just kind of these catchphrases that people say, but in, in, in Rachel, here's my real question for you. Cause we like to really focus on saving your relationships, the one with yourself, the one with your kids, the one with your spouse, if possible. But what are the identifiers? What are the key markers that we should our listeners should be watching out for because they might say, Hey, this is, yeah, that makes sense to me. But if it's your spouse, how can you identify it in your spouse to say, Hey, maybe they're lonely and they're not articulating it. Or or I see it now that Rachel told me like, what should we be looking for to, to figure out how to know if we even have a problem like this? That's an awesome question. Thank you for asking that. I'm going to speak to what we should watch out for as women in our male partners, because that's who I primarily work with. But um, men who start to shut down in the relationship and aren't showing up as fully in in the partnership with the kids. Um, maybe they're working more hours because part of it is, you know, this, I, I'm the provider. That's the role that I fill now um, because I'm not feeling connected in my relationship. So that's my role. So maybe they're spending more time at work or more time doing things with other friends or um, just in general, not asking for what they want and need from partner anymore, not asking asking for things as simple as a hug um, because that's something that happens a lot uh, after a long breakdown of, of the relationship where 
there can be sort of accusations about ulterior motives. If the husband comes in and is like, hey, can I get a hug? I had a really hard day. You know, confirm for me if this is true for you or not or what you've seen. But a lot of times these men that come in and ask for something that simple might be met with, you know, like side eye and, okay, but we're not having sex. I'm not in the mood or I have too many things to do. That is, I think, a common uh, a common uh, trope, right, is that any form of intimate outreach from men is sexual. Yes. And as yeah. a man, that's only mostly true. but i can tell you as a cuddleist it's not always true right it's not always true okay sidebar what is a cuddleist (laughs) oh my gosh i have friends no one of my closest friends um was a da and i I have friends of hers who are in the law community and it's it's just like kind of our running jokes i'm gonna have to make sure they listen to this because we shout out sidebar and erroneous you know pretty often to each other loves that yeah like i like i'm like a squirrel like where where do i go (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. so i'll have to make sure it said this to them right (laughs) sorry i totally interrupted you what is it no the question was just what is a cuddleist Oh, yes. Okay. So um, a lot of people are totally unfamiliar with this, but it's been growing a lot. Cuddleist as a company has been um, in existence for the last about five years, I believe, maybe almost six. And so a cuddleist in layman's terms is a professional cuddler, but... I have sort of renamed it for myself as a platonic touch therapist because it is so much more than cuddling someone. It's consent education. It's, you know, really taking the the rejection out of a no response, which is something that we have been conditioned throughout time that like if somebody tells you no, you know, that's a rejection and we take it personally and then that leads to lots of other problems. Sure. And so it's it's helping to empower people to advocate for themselves and ask for what it is that they want and need from someone, whether their partner or anyone else, but getting that verbal consent, um, which is particularly important, you know, in a Me Too climate that we have been in because there's so much gray area that's come out of that. It's hugely about consent education and empowering people to advocate for themselves and also in a way that they're not only asking for what they want, but they're also feeling empowered to say no to the things that they don't want. So it's a lot more than simply professional cuddling. And so that's why I like to expand on it. So you're, you're helping people communicate in a healthy way yeah. about what they're asking for from their partner and what they're not asking for. And usually a no might not have anything to do with the person that is being told no. It's more about the person that's saying no. Correct. Yeah. It's about honoring your boundaries and somebody else's. And if you hear a no, or if you say a no, it's because of you're respecting your boundaries or they are. So I'm going to give you an example with my girlfriend on a conversation we just recently had and hope this doesn't get me in trouble. So these are my favorite. I know he is my girlfriend. He like can't oh wait for gosh. these. Talk about catnip for me. Wow. <laughs> so we're having this conversation and she's telling me about this problem that she's having. And I immediately go into the typical male response in trying to fix the problem. 
Did mm-hmm. you try this? What about that? Hey, did you, what, no, did you hear that the right way? Well, I didn't think, did you think of it this way? Like, I'm just, I'm going, 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 going. And literally she stops me and says, I'm not asking you to fix the problem. And I said, what are you asking me to do? She said, listen. And mm-hmm. I said, wait a minute. All I need to do is have a drink and listen to what you're saying. And she's like, yeah. I'm like, that's a lot easier than fixing this fucking problem. <laughs> like, I'm in. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then we had a wonderful conversation and I, you know, I listened. I was an active listener. If I didn't understand something, I would ask a question. And that conversation was, it actually brought us closer together because we were connected mm-hmm. on that and not me trying to like be the man and be the problem solver. Is that kind of what we're talking about here? Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's... um I would say goes more in line with what I'm doing now with the coaching, but that's, it all comes down to everybody at their core wants to feel seen. And that doesn't necessarily mean we want a response of any kind, whether it's trying to fix the problem, which we're often prone to want to do, or even just like, I'm so sorry, or, you know, anything that we feel like helps alleviate some of that pain that's going on. It's about just fucking being there and seeing somebody going through something and allowing them to share openly, authentically, and vulnerably so that they feel witnessed. And being vulnerable is powerful. Oh my God. Yeah. That's the core of connection right there. How do you engage the men that you work with to have these kinds of conversations? Because I imagine if they're struggling with these things that hearing a lot of the words you come out you're you're saying right now might sound a lot like a peanuts cartoon. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Um with a lot of I guess warm up in a way, for lack of a better way of saying it, um, because because men aren't encouraged to seek support and um, you know, be vulnerable and know that it's safe to express these things and open up. So so with men in particular, there's a lot of sort of slowly building that trust. And um, I think that how I've been able to successfully do that thus far has been through my social media and, um, you know, the content that I put there and encouraging and, you know, really showing people that this is a safe space. And, you know, also sharing some of my own personal struggles with my mental and emotional wellness and realizing that like, you can't hold this stuff in. You, you know, you're not being a burden to somebody else. You, you really do need just an outlet sometimes. And that can alleviate a lot of that stress. And some of that outlet might just be simply, where are you emotionally? And mm-hmm. that very moment when you're having a conversation, And by way of example, we'll have meetings at the office. And I'm not talking a quick two or three minute meeting, but if we're having a a meeting that's going to last 10, 15, 20 minutes where serious decisions need to be made, we will go around the table at the office and say, red light, green light, yellow light. It sounds a little silly, but like, where are you right now in this meeting? And some people are like, green light, I've prepped for it. I'm really excited about it. This is kind of my pet project. And someone else might say, I am barely here. Mm. I was up last night, my kid was sick. And so I'm kind of dragging today, but I'm going to try to get refocused and be here. But that way, when that person that's not engaged 
we realize, hey, maybe they're just having a bad day. It has nothing to do with the content. It has nothing to do with us or what we're doing. It's how they're just even showing up. And we all have good days. We all have bad days. And so being just able to identify that and say it kind of puts everybody at ease. Like, okay, we know where we are. Let's move forward. Preach. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no seriously because i mean that's a such nice a good... jewish boy that's what i'm gonna go into it's yeah, preaching right. nice <laughs> jewish boy my mom would be so happy <laughs> you see i got the hands going um yeah no i mean that's so beautiful as a practice you know to do that especially in work situations and and that's why like what i'm doing in sharing these connection or these techniques for connection are universal and so you know taking those pieces and applying it to your workspace and checking in with everybody and seeing how everybody's doing where they're at you know it builds empathy for one you know it allows everyone to feel safe to be a little bit vulnerable at the start of that meeting and you know for you to be able to say set a sort of a good example by saying, look, I had a rough night last night. I was up all night with the kids. Like, how's everybody else doing? And then other people start to feel safer in sharing kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit of a yellow light too, because X, Y, Z. And so that's one part of it. And then the other part is building that empathy because it is about understanding look, I'm not the only one going through shit. Like other people have other shit that I didn't even think about because I'm still stuck on my own shit. So so it's raising that empathy and awareness so that when things do go wrong throughout the meeting, throughout the day, throughout a trial, you know, whatever the case may be, we're able to take a step back instead of react and have a better understanding of what's going on and be able to respond in a way that really allows for a deeper connection to take place from there. I'm really interested in this idea of how you approach, or or maybe if you approach uh, uh, men differently when they are post-divorce, like the it, like when they're looking to reestablish or rehabilitate their intimacy, you, you know, their their intimacy. Um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Rehabilitate their intimacy as they go yeah. forward and try to try to get back out there and get into new relationships. Like, is there a, a different uh, sort of path you take or, or what do you notice that's unique about men in that situation? The process isn't really any different. What's different is that men in that sort of a transitional place and are ready to maybe move forward and, and start putting themselves back out there again. Now they have an opportunity to use these techniques like as a blank slate as they're meeting people. And so it's the same techniques. It's, it's the same process with starting with really being a safe space and allowing someone to build their confidence in being seen and accepted without judgment or shame or criticism. So building that confidence back up, particularly after going through a divorce, which can totally shut someone down. Sure. And then building on that with the same technique, same process, but now you're kind of setting yourself up for success in a new relationship because you'll be able to come into it from a really authentic place and hopefully be matched with that. Sure. Be better in all relationships, not yeah. just the one with your current Correct. partner. Right. So on that point, and I think First, Mike, I'm going to ask two questions. One is, do you have some do's and don'ts on post-divorce dating? And do they apply equally to men and women? So you're divorced. You're ready to get back out there. Your friend's saying, we're going to set you up. You're on that date. What should you not talk about? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, for one, I would say don't go on the date until you really feel that you've gone through some sort of period of healing from the separation. Um, because regardless of whether it was mutual or, you know, instigated by you or not, there's healing that needs to happen because that's, you know, it's, it's like a death in a way. It's a huge piece of you that's that's not there anymore. So there's healing that needs to happen before you're even really going to be ready. Um, so that would be the first do slash don't do right. heal. Don't rush it. Okay. Um, <laughs> so we've done that. We're on the yeah. date. I mean, there's some pretty standard sorts of dating rules like John Gray talks about a lot in terms of, you know, you do want to put your best foot forward initially and allow that vulnerability to kind of trickle out over time as that trust builds in the relationship. So it's really sort of a balance between being authentic and being too vulnerable too soon. And so an example of being, you know, making sure that you're really being authentic when you're starting out on this dating journey would be you know, know what's important to you and know what your values are and what you're looking for and be clear on that and communicate that clearly um, so that there's no question down the road about, oh, well, I thought you, I thought you were looking for a relationship. No, I wasn't. Sorry, I gave you that impression. Or, oh, in the beginning, you used to love to go get Manny Petties with me what happened? And it's like, yeah, no, I was only doing that because I wanted to impress you and seem like I was, you know, like the guy for you. That's what I do to impress women, Pete. I'm letting oh, you know shit. right now. It's your man, Patty. Yeah. yeah. No, I could see that hundred yeah. percent. I actually, <laughs> I actually am, am accused of this all the time because I used to go grocery shopping with my wife before we were, before we were married. And then we got married and I'm like, I'm totally <laughs> done with the grocery store. Like I am an, the grocery store is an active antagonist in my life. And so I just, we traded though. Now I do all the laundry. Like I just, she just doesn't. Awesome. It's the same thing for laundry. So we trade. But uh, but I feel like that's part of the issue is finding where those gaps are and not coming off like a jerk in the process. Yeah. And, you know, all relationships take compromise. Compromise is a separate thing, but it's about, you know, showing up as you are and owning who you are so that there doesn't tend to become um, this disconnect later on where it's like, yeah. you used to love this, but now you don't love this. And right. that's when trust starts to really break down is because we didn't show up being totally authentic from the get-go. Yeah. So what about talking about your divorce? That's got to be a big no, right? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. When do you start bringing that up? If ever. It depends on what it is you're trying to share. I don't think that there's anything wrong with saying, I am divorced or I am going through a divorce, especially if you're not, you know, actually legally divorced yet and just separated. Definitely be clear about that up front. But you don't need to go into details or all of the trauma or all the stories until well into the relationship. So I say do not go into that at the beginning. Like it was part of it's part of your identity, right? If you're truly striving to be authentic, then kind of that has to come up, right? This is this is who you are at this point, like before you're making any new commitment, right? I think it comes up, right, Pete? Like you can certainly yeah. say, well, do you have any kids or whatever the case may be? And it's like, yeah, I was I I would say I was previously married, right? Because I'm very intentional with my words. And I think even yeah. divorce has a negative mm -hmm. connotation. But the other thing that I find interesting, and friends of mine asked me this, like, 
you know, Seth, I'm out on a date. And the first thing she asked me was about my divorce. What do I say to that? And I just gave a suggestion. I would just say, why did we just invite my former spouse into our date? We're having such a lovely time. Yeah. Why are we inviting them in here? I love that. Right? And like, I'm happy to discuss it down the road, but we had some good times. We had some bad. We drifted apart. And, but I'm really focused on just having a great time with you tonight. Yeah. Right? I love that. I love that. I learned a lot and now I'm right here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. snaps. Snaps to you. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. From the, how long have you been married, Pete? Uh, we're pretty sensitive dudes here. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> all right. We're doing okay. No, that's awesome. And and the other thing that I would add to that too is as much as you feel comfortable to say, because it's, that's part of, you know, that would be secondary if I would say if your friend still continues to push and say, yeah, but she's, you know, really wanting to know and she's digging in. Say so as much as you feel comfortable sharing, because that's where the boundaries piece comes into it. Don't share more than what you feel comfortable sharing, even if you're being pushed, you know, like do you honor your own boundaries. And if you're not comfortable digging into all of that at this point in the relationship, then say, um, you know, the highlights are this, but again, like I really, I learned a lot and I'm happy to be here with you. And that's something that, you know, I'm not trying to hide anything. I just don't feel comfortable going into the depths of that at this stage. And the other thing I always tell a buddy, I said, be careful on what you say and listen to what they say about their past relationships. He's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, if you start saying, well, my former spouse, or you might say my ex would always say this about me. You're basically telling that date exactly how someone perceives you, mm-hmm. right? And they might say, oh, I saw some red flags there, right? <laughs> so yep. you should be focused more on where you are, not what other people were saying about you. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And you don't want to bash your ex either. That never goes over well. <laughs> Yeah, I. So, where do you where do you stand on on doing? I know you work mostly with men, but where do you see a role uh, for this for for women in and around the rehabilitative sort of divorce process? You know, if there is an interest and a need for it, um, doing like potential support group sort of thing for women, um, mainly because. Women already have a lot of resources for support in going through stuff. But if they specifically want coaching or something of that nature around those techniques, I would be totally down to do something like that if there was an interest. But um, for now, I want to focus on the men. That's just so interesting to me that just we Pete and I were always right, pretty intentional about hey, does this apply to both? We don't want to be yeah. seen as stereotyping people. Mm-hmm. That, we don't want to have too many gendered conversations, right? Right. Like, right. It, right. Is, yeah. But we are wired differently. And in, yeah. in, in women collaborate more than men. And mm-hmm. that's really what we're talking about, where there's a lot of support out there. I mean, just go in the podcast world dealing with divorce. There's a lot out there dealing solely with women working to help women and they're doing amazing work. We've had some of um, those podcasters as guests on the show and um, there's just not as much content out there for guys. It's more like, Oh, go grab a beer with your buddy. Yeah. 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 I also wonder, I mean, I guess this is a question that, that is how busy are you, but more broadly than your business, like 
I believe in my heart of hearts, there is a market for this. I think that the stereotype is that men don't want this. And I don't believe that's Mm. true. I don't know. Am I lying? No, I agree with you. Totally. It's just a little bit harder to sort of break into because there is that hesitancy in that wall uh, as far as feeling safe to actually you know, talk to somebody because it's so stigmatized, you know, as it is mental health and seeking support, it's less stigmatized than it was, but for men, it still is. And especially with male friends, you know, it's like this whole thing about vulnerability equals weakness because it literally has equaled like death (laughs) since the beginning of time to show any sort of vulnerability. Um, whether it's fighting off a saber-toothed tiger or fighting in wars, you know, if you show any bit of vulnerability, it literally can be fatal. So that's hardwired in. And so it's sort of pushing past that to be able to get in there. But there's such a market for it. I'm telling you, I love what you do. I love that you're doing it. Uh, Where do you want people to go find out more about you, Rachel? So you can find me um, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn at HKR Coaching. And the website is hkrcoaching.com. And if you go on there, I have a free download that is five fumbles when you're trying to score and the recoveries to earn you bedroom MVP. And it's pretty fun. So bedroom MVP? You wanna, yeah, Why did you, you bury that? the lead, Rachel? We should have started with that. You didn't ask. What? <laughs> Seth, come on. I've got a lot of questions now about bedroom MVP. Okay. Because I don't know. Did you fold the laundry? I don't know about any of you, but there's should in in my world. There's only two people in the bedroom at once. So are we competing with our significant other? Is there a group of people that we're looking line up of nine guys? Are just everybody's. It's it's very <laughs> adversarial. No, I it's, can't. It's MVP versus benched. <laughs> Got you. There's no yeah. middle ground. You're not just in the game. You either are. A Hall of Famer, or you never <laughs> or you're not even playing. Mm, yeah. <laughs> right. Quite possibly. Right. I mean, there's I, there are varying degrees in between there, but you know, if you want to be MVP, you know. I think I just learned more in the last little minute of innuendo <laughs> than in the entire podcast. Thanks for that. Oh, I no. deeply appreciate it. Uh, Rachel J, you're fantastic. Thank you for ha- oh, hanging out with us on the, you on the toaster here. This has been great. And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We sure appreciate your time and attention. On behalf of Rachel J and the good Seth Nelson, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, how to split a toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.